Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you that you love us and are good and kind to us. Thank you that you treat us much better than we deserve because of your great love. Father, may we honor you. May we, may we desire you above all else. Lord, may, may our lives be lived in complete obedience to you. And may that be seen in our love for each other. Father, we pray that you would please let us know that you are here this morning. Lord, we think of what we read just last week of the commander of the Lord's armies, of you standing there going, I'm not for you and I'm not against you, but I am God and I am commander and I am here. Lord, command now. Command our church, command our lives, command as we listen to what you say. May we hear, may we understand, may we put it into practice. May we not be like someone who hears and then does nothing, like someone who looks in the mirror and forgets what they've seen. Holy Spirit, would you make this real to us right now, I pray. Amen. So we're following through in the book of Joshua. Uh, We've seen some incredible things. We've seen how they've stood on the far side of a raging torrent of a river. They've crossed over on dry ground. This incredible miracle, uh, God's might stopping the river up at uh, a place called Adam. And they cross over and then they dedicate themselves to God. They commit themselves to God. Uh, They celebrate the Passover. And as uh, Joshua sent some spies across to, to spy out Jericho. They are really bad spies because they, they all but get caught. They are rescued by a, a woman called Rahab who sets them free. Um, and then what happens, she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I want you guys to, to promise me I know God is God and he's given you this land. I want to be one of you, basically. Uh, don't kill me with the rest. And so they go, and and we have got this incredible story of the fall of Jericho, which is not so much a military battle as a dedication of the city to God. And they march around it, and the city walls collapse all over the place. uh, Rahab and her family and all those in her house uh, are are rescued. They become basically Israelites. We're told that they live among the people to this day. Uh, Descendants of Rahab come down to the line of David, and through David, through to Jesus. So... Great family there. But one of the things that God said to the Israelites before uh, they took the city of Jericho is God said to them, everything in Jericho is mine. You don't get anything from this. This is not going to get you a strategic place. This is not going to get you uh, loot. This is not going to get you anything. Everything in Jericho is mine because I am the one who is doing this. This is my battle, this is my fight. Don't, don't start this conquest of the land thinking that it's all about you. It's not, it's all about me. And God says to them, right, uh, uh, the metal and the things like that that cannot be destroyed, they come to me. They go into the treasury of the temple, they're for my use only. Everything else, destroy it, burn it. And that includes the people. And we looked last week a little bit, and sorry if this was a bit confusing, but, but uh, God said the people are... are Herem or Sherem, however you want to pronounce it uh, in the, the Hebrew, which I don't pronounce well, um, basically means if the people are devoted to God, they belong to Him. They are brought into His presence. Now, the problem with that is if something unholy is brought into the presence of God, 
what happens is that God judges and the only righteous judgment is destruction. And so the people who are dedicated to God while rebelling against God are destroyed. And so everyone in Jericho is destroyed. All of the stuff is taken away uh, and destroyed. All of the silver and gold and precious stuff is taken and put in, well, unburnable precious stuff is put into the treasury of God. And the people, I'm sure, are celebrating because they've had a victory that is just impossible. What they did, they should not have been able to do. But we read here, chapter 7 of Joshua. But, oh, don't you hate the word but. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart from the Lord. Um, The idea here is, uh, the word there is actually more the word for adultery. Israel committed adultery. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, and so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or or 3,000 men to attack Ai. And since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. Uh, This is, uh, if you think of the geography, this is going up into the hills. It's not that far distance-wise, but you're going quite an elevation up. It's all uphill. So don't don't tire out the people struggling to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 or who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads. They bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Remember, the ark is the symbol of God's presence among the Israelites at this stage. And then Joshua cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its, enemy, from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will sure, surely surround us, they will surround us, and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And when that will happen, and then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Let's pause there and just think about it for a little bit. Jericho must have left Israel on a high. This impossible defeat. I mean, the idea that with God on our side, who can defeat us? And they get a little bit cocky about this. And we know something that they don't know. You, know. you know those TV shows where it's a murder story? And the show starts by showing you the murder happening. And you know who the murderer is. It's obvious you're sitting at the TV yelling at the detective, you fool, it's the man in the red suit. It's red to hide the blood. And the detective's going, ah, oh, I think it must be the blues. You know who it is. It's the same with us here. We, we're in on the secret. We know that something bad has happened. Achan has defied God's instructions. He's, he's committed spiritual adultery. He's cheated God. He's been untrue to God. Despite all that he had seen and all that he had been a part of, 
Achan didn't grasp the fact that God is God, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, that God is sovereign, that he's in charge. Uh, His lack of trust in God was like a cancer growing in the people of Israel. He thought he'd get away with it too. Thought that nobody knew. And as we read through the story, nobody did know. Joshua still organized, let's just carry on, carry on business as usual. He makes plans to attack I. The word I means uh, ruins. And um, I'm told that in the Hebrew Bible it's never mentioned without the word the in front of it. So it's really the ruins and it's near Bethel. And if we look, uh, jump forward to chapter 8, it seems like maybe Israelite wasn't just attacking Ai, but, but the battle was against Ai and Bethel, because the people from Bethel come and help fight against Ai. So Ai is probably, or maybe, uh, archaeology is weird for this era. Uh, it's, it's maybe just a, a, a ruins on which there is a little fortress. Now, the town of Ai is strategically quite important. Um, there were three roads running into the hills from uh, Jericho. This is the middle road going uh, to Bethel from Ai. And, and if you get to Bethel, there's a major north-south road running there. So if, if they can get there, they have got a wedge into the country. They control some of the major routes. Uh, it's a great place to go and attack. It's very strategic. And, and convinced that it's going to be a walkover to do it. You, you note the little bit of arrogance there already? Well, Jericho was hard, this is going to be nothing. They send just 3,000 men, and they should have won. Joshua, up to now, has been unbroken success. And now it breaks. Israel's cancer becomes symptomatic. We see 36 people dying. Which doesn't sound like much, does it? I mean, modern warfare, we have millions of people dying. But remember, they've just attacked Jericho. We're not told that they lost anyone. All of a sudden, they lose 36 people attacking what should have been a walkover. The news of the loss shakes Joshua so badly. He realizes that for some reason God hasn't acted. He's a smart cookie. He knows that if miraculous victory comes from God, miraculous defeat must come from God as well. And he lies down, falls before the symbol of God's presence and just pours out his grief about the fact that God seems to have abandoned them. I have a feeling that perhaps he had forgotten what God said to him, the commander of the Lord's armies in chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, Joshua said to him, are you on our side or are you on the enemy's side? And the commander of, of the Lord's armies, God himself, probably, possibly Jesus, turned to him and said, neither, but as commander of the Lord's armies, I am here. In other words, we said last week, it's not about God being on our side or God being on their side, it's about whether we are on God's side. And Joshua is now turning to God and going, God, why aren't you on our side? Why have you done everything that you've done if you're just going to let us be destroyed? We are weak, God. We will be wiped off the face of this earth. Why are you doing it? 
And if they wipe our name off the face of the earth, what about your name, God? You've, you've chosen us. You said, everyone knows you said that you would give this land to us. And if they wipe us out, what are people going to be saying about you, God? And it's not that Joshua is rebelling against God. He's, he's just desperately confused. There is a difference. The, the Israelites, while they were in the desert, they grumbled against God saying, why have you brought us out of Egypt? And God reacted against them and a whole bunch of them died. There's a difference here with Joshua because Joshua is not grumbling against God. Joshua is pouring out his complaints to God. Which is in itself an act of trust. Because he's saying, I think actually maybe we can still talk about this God. One of the things that sets God apart from every other false God is that he is true to his word. He is the truth. So often though we jump to the assumption, just like Joshua did, that God has failed us. Because we pray for something and it doesn't happen. Uh, because we get sick when, we, when we're not supposed to. Because people don't treat us the way we should be treated. Because the church doesn't grow. Because life flops. And God's meant to be on my side. And it's God's fault. Because if God was doing his job, this wouldn't have happened. And we forget that God knows a lot more than we do. He knows a lot more about what's actually happening inside of us. And he knows a lot more about the bigger picture. And if he says he's going to do something, he's the one who's going to do it. If he says something, it's going to happen. Because if God was untrue to himself, he wouldn't be God anymore. Is it wrong to complain to God when, when we don't get it, when we don't understand, when, when we think like this? It's better to get it, to understand God's, what God's doing, to understand what's actually happening. But no, it's not wrong to complain to God. It's actually right to speak to God. And I see this because God doesn't against Joshua. At the same time, God looks at Joshua and says, Joshua, mate, get up off the ground. You're making an idiot of yourself. He doesn't call him an idiot. <laughs> he just says, what's wrong? I don't know how God spoke to Joshua, whether it was an audible voice or, or what, but, but God responded to him and said, basically, Joshua, your groveling doesn't impress me. Your groveling's not going to change my mind as if I've changed my mind about my promises earlier. Joshua, yes, someone has abandoned someone, but it wasn't me who did the abandoning. If we, if we blatantly, deliberately do what God says not to do, isn't it a bit rich to then go to God and say, would you do us a favor? I read a, a sermon this week about a, a man who got tired with his wife 
and decided he's going to leave her and move to the other coast. And he goes to the pastor and says, Pastor, I'm tired of my wife. I'm moving to the other side of the coast. Would you pray to God that my new life starts well? And the pastor looked at him and says, Are you nuts? You're doing exactly what God says not to do. And then you've got to go to God and say, Now bless me, please. That's not going to happen. Why would... What sort of a pathetic God would do that? Everything in Jericho was under the ban. It was for God alone. It's God's right to have it. He made it. He owns it. And I think that's, that's just as an aside, an important thing for us to remember, that we don't own anything. Taryn and I have just bought a house. We don't own a house. We have some rights over the house. But it's God's. We are stewards over everything. God owns everything. The fact that we've got stuff is because God lets us have it. We, we are to steward this planet and steward this earth and rule it under God. By stealing what, what God had claimed as his own, Achan was treating God with contempt. He was basically saying, I think I have just as much right to this as God does. And really, I don't think God's going to find out because I mean, God's not really big if he's real at all. Which is a pretty fair thing to say, actually, if God isn't God and if God doesn't know everything. Unfortunately, God is God and God is without equal in all of creation because he made all of creation and God did know and he actually is God. Let's have a read what happens here. Uh, Verse 11. uh, The Lord said, or verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken the covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That's why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now, Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain among you, with you, any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up! Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In the morning, you must present yourselves by tribes, and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward... um, Uh, with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. And this is what happens. Uh, They call the people, they, they run this long process the next day, tribe, 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 Clan, 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 family, family, family. Ah, okay, that one. Okay, member, member, member. Ah, it's a. And Joshua confronts him and says, uh, Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Tell the truth. Make a confession. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan says, It's true. I sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins, a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver 
buried deeper than the rest. And Joshua sends some men and they find them and they bring them out and they lay them before the Lord uh, on the ground in the presence of the Lord. And Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, everything he had. They brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought such trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. And they piled a great heap of stones over Achan with the remains to this day. Which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. And so the Lord was no longer angry. Did God know who it was? Why didn't he just say, Joshua, it's Achan. That bloke from the tribe of Judah, get him. No, God gives this long, drawn-out process. And I wonder whether it wasn't perhaps to give Achan a chance to repent. It doesn't even stop that day. It doesn't say, Joshua, right, get them going now. Let's sort this out now. He says, get them ready because tomorrow we're going to sort this out. Was this giving Achan a chance to repent or possibly even to harden in his rebellion? You see, before and during the trial, as they were calling the different groups, Achan kept absolutely quiet. You have been in that situation where you think, oh, I'll, maybe, maybe they won't. Catch me. Achan, I don't think, really thought God was God anyway. So you thought, ah, it's chance of the draw, they'll never, they'll never get me. He only confessed when he was found out. He wasn't sorry about what he'd done. He was sorry that he was caught. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. If Achan, I believe, had gone to Joshua and gone to God and said, I did it. This could have been a very different story. Because the Bible is clear here that if we refuse to confess and honor God, if we refuse to say, God, you have the right to rule, there will come a time of judgment and there will be a time when all of our hidden secrets will be revealed. But if we confess to God, he will forgive us. And even court, Achan doesn't admit to taking what belonged to God. Achan admits that he took some of the plunder, that he took some of the loot. The wording is important because he doesn't say, I took what was yours, God. He says, I took the loot. It's mine by rights. It's what you do when you attack someone, you get the, the plunder. Was he trying to, to, to convince himself that what he did was just right, normal? And yet he hid the stuff. He knew about it. He lied about it, says God. Can't help but wonder if his family, his children knew about it. He wanted it because he wanted it. He coveted it. He thought himself important enough to have it. He was a wealthy man, this Achim. He had donkeys and sheep and cattle and goats. He he wasn't poor. 
but he wanted more because he's important. And after all, if God had any respect for him, God would have given him his reward for doing the fighting. God was unfair. When Achan had seen God's power and loving kindness, he crossed that river with the Israelites, the uh, the Jordan River. He had stood with the rest of the men at Gilgal and dedicated himself to God. But it was just a show. He didn't think God was all powerful. He wasn't even trying to think God was all powerful. He didn't desire God and he didn't desire to desire God. He desired his own pleasure. God is a wonderfully gracious and loving and forgiving God, but he will not be taken lightly. The world is meant to look at us and see that we are different because we follow God. Sure, we mess up. Constantly. But the world is meant to see that our lives are set on a different tangent. If you've got your Bibles with me, just turn very quickly to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Paul says over here in verse 6, he's writing about this church, Corinth, which is a, boy, it's a tough church. Uh, You've got people there uh, deliberately doing things that that God is displeased about. And they're boasting about it. Paul says, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let's celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Paul's not saying there, if anyone in your congregation struggles with sin, shun them. Hands up if anyone here struggles with sin. Anyone got one or two sins that that you're getting hard to shake off? No? Paul's not saying, just hands up again. 
right, those who don't have their hands up, if you look around, these are the people you must have nothing to do with. (laughs) That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is speaking about people who are trying to cheat God. Who are saying, I follow God, but on my terms. When it suits me. It's about God saying, don't do this, or do do this, and, and us saying, I will do it. Because it's, you're, you're wrong, God. It, it is a good thing to do. Or I won't do it, God, because that's not what I want to do. And by the way, God, you're not really going to know whether I do it or not, so what does it matter? I can put on a good show for the church and they'll think I'm wonderful. This is an attitude that puts us above God. We, we, we make a big show of saying God's in charge, but really, he's not. We just want to impress other people. Achan's putting himself above God and taking what God said was his was like a little yeast that tainted the whole nation of Israel. Left alone, his cancerous attitude of laughing at God would spread and grow. Uh, if, if God just let it slide, wouldn't everyone start to realize that God was under Israel's thumb, that God had been tamed by Israel? Paul says, yeah, same thing today in the church. Don't just let it slide when people say, I follow God, but I refuse to do that. And that is this, as I said, this is different to, I follow God, but I'm struggling with that, but I want to follow God. This is people saying, I follow God, I'm not struggling with that, that's rubbish. God's got it wrong there, I'm following God, but, but only when God gets it right. That's not a Christian. It's not a disciple. Paul says, don't let that slide. Achan sinned and the whole nation suffered and his children died for him. Died, not died for him, they died with him. Possibly to wipe out his family name. Possibly, as I say, they knew about him. They kept quiet. I don't know. But what I do know is that the whole suffers because a part of it rebelled against God. And I do know that if, if yeast is put into dough, it spreads. And cancers tend to grow and infect. And we are a body. There's another story told in Acts uh, of a husband and wife called Ananias and Sapphira. Become Christians, they join the church, they're all like, hey, hey how you doing? Jesus is great, Jesus is wonderful. Ooh, we sold all our property, we give you the money. We sold our property for $200,000. Let me repeat that. $200,000. Yeah. Graham and he sold his for $50. <laughs> That's what they did. They came and they said, we're giving all this money and it's everything. And the disciples looked at them and go, that's everything, is it? God had already said to them, it's not everything, it's half the money. 
And they go, yeah, yeah, that's everything. We're, we're honouring God by giving him of, of everything. Down falls the husband, Ananias. A little bit later, in comes the wife and, and says, oh, okay, you got the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's everything, is it? Yeah, aren't we generous? We're giving you all this money. We, we love God so much. We're such good people. And they look at her and go, good timing, because the guys that just buried your husband are just coming back, so she dies. God judges them straight away. But also not straight away. He gives them a chance. Do you, do you notice that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira? They say to him, are you sure? God gives Achan a chance. He says, Achan, tomorrow. And all this procedure, don't, don't wait till I find you out. Admit. Confess. I'm the kind of God who forgives. That's who I am. There have been many people who have acted like um, Achan and Ananias and Sapphira throughout the years and who have not been stoned and who have not died horrible deaths. By the way, don't stone people today. The point is that these, these stories are here at crucial moments. Crucial moment for Israel, crucial moment for the church to remind us that God will not be taken lightly. Eugene Peterson, who translated the Message Bible, um, has this idea that when you go into churches and places like that, you should have a sign-up on the door. You know when you go to someone's house and they've got beware of the dog? He says you should have a sign-up saying, beware of God. Because God's God. And if you treat him like he's a dog, you're going to get a shock. God will not be laughed at. Now is the time to repent and change before justice is served. I'm not saying if you don't confess every detail of every sin that you've ever done that you will not be saved. That, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But Jesus did say to us, follow me. And if we refuse to follow him, we're not following him. If we say, no, you're wrong here, Jesus, uh, I'll walk maybe a little bit parallel to you. I'll just, you know, here's the path and I'll just sidestep. We're not following you. If we refuse to confess, if we insist on doing what we want despite God, then we haven't trusted God. We're saying you don't want what's best for me, God. I think I can get a better deal without you. I think you are shortchanging me. I think... I think I can save myself. I don't need you. I don't even believe you. We've decided against trusting Jesus for forgiveness. Not one of us follows Jesus perfectly. Sometimes we do deliberately do the wrong thing. This story says to us, Don't stay in that place. Maybe the question is, given that we don't follow Jesus perfectly, imagine yourself a little baby again. Are you trying to walk? Or do you think the adults are stupid for walking when you can crawl so much faster? God doesn't care if we... Well, God cares, but God doesn't 
smite us when we stumble because we're trying to follow him. He loves it. The good news is we don't have to end up like Achan. Forgiveness is possible. And that's why Jesus came. He came because we've done wrong and and God wants to forgive us. He wants to lift us up and say, you know what? You did the wrong thing, but I will forgive you. Take the chance I'm giving you to turn. Let's not hide our sins, brothers and sisters. Let's confess to God. If, if we're doing something or we've done something that, that has been a deliberate act of, I will not let you run my life, God. Let's say to God, God, I'm sorry. Actually, you are God. And I can't have it both ways. Maybe the other thing we should do is we should trust each other and confess to each other more. James 5.16 says um, that we should confess to one another and pray for each other and be healed by that. Some sins are easier to confess than others. Some sins you confess in different contexts. I know for myself, we, uh, uh, I have a group of pastors that I meet with who gather from all across the city. And it's wonderful to be able to sit there and be open and honest with each other. Not as open and honest as with God, but quite open and honest with each other. And confess some of our sins to each other and to know that we are not the only ones. And to know that they are praying for us. That's what we're called to do. And to tell each other the truth. To not hold back. Ephesians 4.15 says to tell each other the truth in love. If we see someone who's, who's... deliberately going against God, surely we have to go to them and go, hey, that's not right. Peter did that at one stage. Paul went to him and said, Peter, mate, you are making a mockery of God by doing that. This is the Nicholas authorized version, by the way. And we should hold each other accountable. Not because we want to attack, but because we want to bring people back. Brothers and sisters, there is an Aachen lurking inside my heart and there is an Aachen lurking inside your heart. The question is, the question is, will we take that to God and say, God, I'm sorry. And not just God, I'm sorry that I've been caught, but God, I'm sorry, would you help me to change? And find someone in the church and go, look, I'm struggling with this. Or find someone outside the church, I don't care, and say, look, I'm struggling with this. I've spoken to God, would you help me to change? Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time for us to go to God and say, God, be king. God, be king. Anna Marie.